Welcome to the Tabletop Gaming Magazine podcast. I'm Chris Eggett, the editor of the magazine, and today I'm joined by Steve Tudor. Hi, Steve. Hello. How are you doing? All right, thank you. Yes. Uh, so Steve is from uh, the Polyhedron Collider podcast, which is an excellent uh, gaming podcast covering all sorts of um, things from, uh, well, RPG board games uh, and so on, and most recently uh, a whole slew of online shows, actually, uh, because that's all we've yes. had to do. <laughs> Yeah, we'll be starter content. We'll talk about anything, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Occasional bits of DIY as well, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is more than occasional, unfortunately. <laughs> I think that seems to get mentioned every episode now. I think I think of your podcast as a proper podcast because it's one of those things where um, uh, you forget the people you're listening to uh, on the radio uh, aren't actually your friends that you know. Uh, and so you're quite, in- you're quite interested if someone's had their kitchen fitted, actually. Um, so... <laughs> Well, it was weird when we first started. The kind of the idea, the idea we wanted was really to feel as if it, like you're talking to your mates down the pub, kind of thing. Yeah. So that's what the, we kind of always stuck to that vibe, which means we often wander wildly off topic of tabletop gaming. But I, I think some people don't like it. Some people want podcasts to be, you know, exactly that subject and nothing else. Whereas I think other people appreciate it. But um, one of my friends actually did say he feels it was so much like us talking in the pub at one point. He tried to interrupt us and talk to us while he was walking through the park listening to the podcast. Oh, excellent. That's very good. Yeah. <laughs> Which said he made him look like a complete madman, but there we go. That's absolutely perfect. Uh, really. What, what more could you want? Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that, that is a th- actually, I've, I have a similar conversation with friends of mine as well, which is, you know, a good podcast when you want to pause it and argue with them. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so um, that, that's, that's me introducing you. Um, how do you introduce yourself? Um, so, well, I'm, I'm one part of Polyhedron Collider. Um, we are, as you said, a podcast. It's five of us, potentially, though. We're kind of dipping in and out now because uh, various members have got young children and uh, are struggling to find the time to sleep, never mind yes. play games, never mind record a podcast. So um, we've got this cast of five blokes so we are, you know, we can be a bit blokey at times, but I think that's sometimes I think that's part of our charm. Sometimes I get worried it's part of our detriments. But uh, yeah, we talk about any tabletop game we've been playing, and then as we said, anything else that really has caught our eye. But it's mostly tabletop gaming, and what we try and do is cover a little bit of news, cover a couple of games that at least two of us have played, and then you know questions from the listeners, kind of thing. So it's a it's a really simple format, but the general gist is we just have a chat and. I would say most anything goes almost of what goes in there. Yeah, it's um, uh, I, I really like it because it uh, overlaps with my particular um, tastes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just things like um, uh, I believe you outside of the podcast because the, the podcast isn't itself an actual play, but you you you're running a um, an alien RPG session. Yeah, yeah, we've run a, we've run a couple now. We've run through the first. We've run through all these cinematic scenarios available for it now. Yeah, have you actually? Have you run a campaign in it? No, we haven't, and we're kind of threatening to. But we've also kind of got this massive. You know, we all talk about the shelf of shame with board games. I think the RPG shelf of shame is even bigger at the moment because RPGs can you know hugely take up your time. You know, it's quite easy to go pick up a new RPG book for you know thirty pounds and go. Oh yeah, we'll get to that in a few weeks. And six months' time, she go. Well, we're still we're still knee deep in this D and D campaign. <laughs> when are we going to get to run to that? So, uh... I mean, today I think um, one of the things I'd like to talk about is an effect of lockdown and 
uh, which is mm-hmm. obviously not a very popular thing to talk about, uh, although it is the only thing we talk about. Um, uh, and that is um, uh, online shows. I recently, because I, I recently caught you uh, with uh, Paul Grogan doing uh, the, I think it was Agamonia playthrough. Um, yeah. And things like that. I think you, you guys have done a lot of um, digital shows. And, uh, oh, and of course, obviously, the, the most important thing is I need to offer an apology to uh, to to everyone at the uh, the podcast because um, the in fact the first episode of the uh, Polyhedron Collider uh, podcast that I listened to was the episode where you said there's there's one show left it's Tabletop Gaming Live and that came out on the day that we sent out the press releases and notifications that we would actually uh, be cancelling Tabletop Gaming Live. Uh... <laughs> yeah, and I thought that was good. as soon as I even said that during the podcast, I thought. I'm cursing this now. It's going to get cancelled. It's all going to go the way of all the others. And I thought, no, I'm going to stick with it. But the, the unfortunate thing is we tend to record at the moment on a Monday which, yes. and I release it on a Sunday. So there's, there's almost a full week between recording and the episode going out. So, yeah, I, I, whether I cursed it or whether I cursed myself by even mentioning it. Yeah. We were we were so hopeful it was actually going to happen. We we thought things, we, like a lot of people, we, we were really hoping it was going to um Things were going to be cleared up by then, but you know, there's no, nothing wrong with a bit of hope, though, of course. Um, well, you say that. I remember finishing the day we finished for work saying, Oh, we're going to lock down. I honestly thought it'd be three weeks. That's exactly <laughs> it. That's exactly it. Yes. <laughs> and six months later, of um, yeah, the same, the same walls. <laughs> That's yeah. Uh, it was a, a difficult time. There was a, a strange resurgence, though, in, in, um, and people playing online and um, sort of coming together and actually people becoming very interested in board games all of a sudden. Um, I think lots of people who maybe wouldn't normally be interested, um, people dragging, maybe dragging out um, more lightweight games to get the rest of their family in, for example. Yeah. Yeah, and I found um, one of my friends suggested we try Board Game Arena, which I hadn't actually tried prior to lockdown and i couldn't get on there for the first three weeks because it was oversubscribed and their servers were overloaded so just shows you how popular these were all of a sudden to loop back to um these online digital shows that replaced pretty much every live show this year um uh what was your experience of them Uh, have any of them been good (laughs) i've i've struggled a little bit with them actually because one of the things i find even with the physical shows, is that kind of carving out the time for it. It's like I've got a pass. I've got a stamped pass for UK Games Expo, and then everything else requires negotiation That's <laughs> with, it. With, with, with my wife, yeah, uh, to what we're doing. Like, and actually, one of the th- good things about um, UK Tabletop Gaming Live was that it was close enough that I could get on a train and get there. It was like four hours on the train that day, but I could get there on the train. But one of the beauties about that is once I've carved out that time and you know I'm out of the house, that's it. Yeah, I'm at the gaming convention. But I'm finding with the live, like kind of online conventions, it's very difficult to carve out that time. You kind of go, well, if there's a live demo I fancy seeing, I'll go see that. But at the same time, you're still at home, so it's still, you know, that, that time hasn't been blanked out. If that makes sense. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You. you... Uh, You'd often like. Uh, I mean, we, we experienced this with our. We did a little live show in in lieu of in lieu of our show, and um, uh, and we we tried we tried to combat that slightly by making everything just videos on the site that went up throughout the day, in the sense that we wanted there to be as little required from people at the other end as possible um, mm. in terms of in terms of what they're doing because because um, I found even even me trying to go to um, UK Games Expo exhibitions and things like that. Um, 
for demos and stuff. I kind of had to pick one or two things um, because it's not. it wasn't like walking in a room and spotting something across the room going, oh, that looks weird. I'll go see that in a second. Yeah. Or, or like, oh, dice, uh, you know, which is usually a problem. Um, and, that, and, <laughs> and that sort of thing. Um, um, but, but yeah, yeah, try, trying to avoid the uh, distractions of being at home. You know, you can always, there's always another screen you could look at as well, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. How, how, have you, did, how did you find all the demos, though? Um, so we i mean we took part in a few demos and we found them really good actually um as for watching them i did find not being able to actually take part because a lot of the demos i mean we did were the live ones to show um and i think although it's a bit weird was taking part of them and me saying come watch us play i found watching someone else play for i can only do it for so long if that makes sense before you kind of want to grab all the pieces and have a go yourself but I think that's another thing from the, the kind of real life convention. You'll look over someone's shoulder, you'll see someone playing it, you'll watch them for five or ten minutes and go, nah, I don't, you know, I either like it or I don't. And if you like it, you'll go, right, when can I jump in and play this? That's it, yeah. You uh, you, yeah. Want, you want to get on a list, basically. <laughs> yeah. Or or to be able to sort of hover around at nearby stalls, like thinking, okay, they're, they're nearly done. Yeah, keep their eye on that one person going he's leaving he's leaving he's, he's leaving no okay oh no and now he starts to chat with the designer oh come on come on <laughs> yes that's it it's endless isn't it but that's the joy of a live show um yeah yeah you know, definitely, and, and yeah. the uh um i think i think it's hard to watch people play as well not not only because you can't get involved but also the online versions are just that little bit slower yes especially things like anything with tabletopia or tabletop simulator it does seem to be like a, a faff quotient. Yes. Which is, it just, just adds like, you know, it adds like 5% to the time or 10% to the time it takes to play, which weirdly lengthens out the, you know, when you add it up over the entire game, just seems to make the game go much slower than it would physically. Yeah, I think I think that's that's one of the things that put me off a lot of them a great deal. And also uh, the fact that it was very, it was very hard to feel like you were there because you had to be there, you had to make noise. Yeah, um, I think yeah, it's a, it's a you know you had to be in the Discord chat. You had to be talking to people all the time in a way that you could you can passively wander around a show and sort of um, yeah just enjoy what you're seeing, the atmosphere, and um, you know the uh, good prices and offer and things like that uh, without without having to like uh, actively um, search for a designer and um, shake information out of them, for example, or, or get a demo directly or anything like that. But um, on online shows, they're sort of like a a thing of this year, like a symptom of this year, I mm. think. Um, and I was so earlier today. I was sitting there. And I, was, I was writing our little intro to um, the uh, best games of 2020, uh, which is our just yearly roundup of reviews from the year and the most the best rated games from the year. Um, and uh, one of the things I found myself writing was that looking at what came out this year and the number of games which got a deluxe version or a second edition or um, like a reprint in some way all those sort of things. I think everyone thought this was going to be the year for board games. I don't know what you feel about this year or how it was meant to go. It, it, it was weird, actually, because we, we talked in our own podcast about at the beginning of the year, we actually kind of almost thought the opposite. Maybe whether a bit of fatigue was setting in. And we were trying to work out whether that was due to our own tastes, maybe, evolving, or maybe it was due to the fact that, you know, I mean, you can see... But we can both see each other's board game <laughs> shelves, and both of them are completely stacked to the rafters, and probably a health and safety risk. So, 
uh, you know, I'm, I've ran out of room for new board games and I'm at the point where I'm not playing older board games. It does seem to be like a board game comes in because you're probably in the same similar situation to me in that you're reviewing stuff. You know, we're constantly after stuff for the podcast. So the stuff we're buying and the stuff we're being sent. So that always has to take a priority because you think, well, I need to think about what the next episode is, which means that 99% of these games that are behind me are not being touched as well. So there was a kind of like, oh, I, you know, I really wouldn't mind going putting Arkham Horror Second Edition on the table again. Yes, it's yes. been donkey's years since I've played that, <laughs> and I really like that game, and I want to you know, see what it's like. So we had a little bit of this, as I said, this little almost reluctance to it, thinking, you know, is is, is this industry stalling, you know, or is it just us? Or is it is it one of these things where you just go through waves, whether you as a player, you know, goes to a point when you've you're a bit saturated and then you you have a bit of a cull and then all of a sudden it's back again. And maybe, you know, it it'll relies on other gamers being within different phases of that wave. Yes, possibly. Yeah. To, to for it all to work. Which the the way you saying it with the, you saying it you think twenty twenty was gonna be the year, that means that obviously me and you were on completely different phases at that point at the beginning. So Yeah. Or well I mean, maybe what I was thinking is that um, maybe the publishers thought it was going to be the year. Like, mm. like we're, we're um, as an industry, we're kind of, kind of settled in enough to be able to just put out really nice versions of things and not have to do really short print runs of everything. And, you know, yeah. um, and we have sort of staples now and, you know, uh, all this sort of stuff. And it's just, um, it, it's felt, just looking back at what, what got reviewed this year, um, not, not only because of, the pandemic because that was made, that made things weird anyway. Um, mm. Yeah, but with, with all that, do you do you then now looking back at this last year? Do you feel like do you feel refreshed? I I kind of do in a way. I, I I'll feel even more refreshed when I've made the cull. I think I think I'm due a culling in my collection. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, I do because I I don't feel as if I've played as many games this year either. Uh, I mean, and that's not just. I don't, and that's not just because of what has happened. I think I don't feel as a, we, we, I, I definitely haven't bought as many games, and I don't think we've been sent as many review games. But it feels that, you know, understandably, not as many games have come out. Yes, yeah. Which which almost feels refreshing in a way because it doesn't feel like we have that usual deluge. I mean, you know, this where, where are we now? End of November now. Usually we would be at this point now where everyone would just have played everything that came out of Essen that was interesting to them. Yeah. Um, I do not feel that we had anywhere near this kind of like tidal wave of Essen games that we would have had this time last year. Yeah, that's true, actually. And I think I think that's what makes it refreshing almost. It feels like we've got we had room to breathe this year. Ironically, that's the wrong term, isn't it? In COVID, room to breathe seems the wrong term. <laughs> uh maybe but we did didn't we we all we all slowed down a bit you know yes you're right though there, there, there wasn't as many games coming out i will say the um uh from my end the release cycles looks like um games that are coming out you know towards the end of november look like they probably should have come out well before halloween um, yeah. there's been a, a, a glut of um uh, horror games that um uh, all actually look quite good but it feels like it was a, a missed year for uh, horror games in that way because of the way um, uh, supply worked, and and also it's been a bad year for the party game. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's been no touching and throwing of things, or sharing things between each other, or um, 
or getting a group of four plus people together, or, you know, anything like that. It's been it's been very difficult, I think, for um, Maker of Party Games. And I, I, want, I do hope once this is all blown over, I can look back at everything from the last year or so and like just celebrate all the party games that did come out uh, <laughs> against the odds. <laughs> you know. So, um, so what, what, what have you been playing recently? Uh, oh, that's a good question. Um, so, I mean, we've a bit of review comp. We've been. Uh, Sorry, bit of review content we've been doing. So uh, we played quite a bit of the um, Back to the Future dice game. Oh, yeah. That's been quite an interesting one to try because I've tried that one. With, luckily, that one came through just before second lockdown. I've played that with quite a few different groups. Um, I've had some very marked differences with that. It's oh, really? quite interesting. Yeah, because we played it with a group of friends who are, I'd call them the keen board gamers, but they're not kind of the mega hobby level as it were, you know, they're the kind of, um, the buy the games from Waterstones kind of group yes. is what I call them. Yeah. Which I'm not, that's not a derogatory term before anyone thinks otherwise. It's just, that gives you an idea of what kind of level of games they're into. And they struggled with it. They found it quite difficult. Mm. Whereas we played it with another group of friends, including uh, Andy from the podcast and most of which have been what I would call veterans of um, several pandemic legacy campaigns and we just breezed through it with that group because the, the the brain had been trained for the you know cooperative game and getting all the everything lined up but it's that's definitely a game which isn't aimed at the pandemic legacy veteran you know it's aimed it is aimed at the waterstones crowd you know it is aimed at somebody who what is interested in board games and wants to you know play something a bit different this christmas it was a really um uh interesting looking game certainly yeah um uh, I I didn't actually review it for the magazine, but it was it, uh, uh, Dan reviewed it quite well, um, uh, and it, there was it was beautiful looking, just the, the um, bright bold colours, the, all the um, uh, sort of like pastely almost um, DeLoreans mm. um, that looked delicious. In need of the perfect gaming gift this year then look no further. Visit www.tabletopgaming.co.uk for magazine subscriptions and gaming gifts. So to wildly segue away from uh, uh, what kind of terrible year it's been, been this year, um, I wondered if uh, you could give me maybe some um, uh, GMing advice. Ooh, yeah, right. That, that that suggests I'm actually a good GM, but we'll uh, we'll pretend that I am, shall we? Well, or maybe or maybe we maybe we can segue into uh, a, a general chat about um, the things that catch you out as a new GM, maybe um, because that's what's happened to me, and that's what this um, circles around. Um, I I did something very silly, and I um uh, after in a sort of linking moment between two um, scenarios. You know, a large campaign. I um, I offered my players the chance to go shopping. <laughs> ah, yes, the shopping episode. <laughs> and um, uh, and it took uh, three or four years <laughs> to go from just the players just bartering, just just wanting a better deal for no reason. They had they had so yeah. much money. Uh, you know, I wanted to unburden them with their money. I thought I was doing them a favour. I thought they could have some new toys, all this sort of thing. Um, but they just wanted 
They just wanted all the stuff. Uh, they they wouldn't. One of them wouldn't leave unless they wouldn't take up the um, the quest. In fact, uh, which was related to the the, the short shop situation, um, uh, without being promised a trebuchet on their return and that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> which is all, uh, so, do you have any advice for um, for for oh. that kind of situation? Right. Well, I mean, because you, you, we did mention this on a podcast of ours where I, I, I absolutely despise this part of role playing, but it's it's bizarre how you're right. Players just jump on it, don't they? You know, can we can we go to town and go go get some supplies? And you go, okay, then. And then it, it, you know, you I hand them the player's handbook or point them in the right page of whatever rule book it is and say, you know, well, there's all the prices for everything. And as you said, everyone goes, well, do they haggle? can i I try a persuasion check and see if i can get 10 gold pieces off this it's like okay um now there's i think there's two ways of handling this and i think one way is to try and go completely mechanics and the other way is to go completely role play and hopefully there's a there's a a bit a little bit in the middle number one is just to admit that it's gonna happen right just deal (laughs) with it yeah it's just deal with it be prepared and at that point i think the, the best thing to do is actually to come up with interesting shopkeepers oh okay Cause I was, yeah because there was the thing is and i i have to forget it's a great piece of advice but i always forget to do it myself but being online makes it a bit easier now is to have some names just written down on a piece of paper or on a notepad or have a link on your desktop to like random fancy name generator because invariably the players will ask what the name of the shopkeeper is and you just go oh yeah he's bert zonkins the you know dwarf forge master <laughs> and before you know it and then given just an in, just just a smidge of personality and all of a sudden it becomes you know almost it becomes part of the game and then you can use him to give quests and give information and things like that um the other one which i really am glad we we jumped on is uh we've played we've had a lot of dnd so in the xanathar's book there's a really good section on there about buying magical items and it really does turn buying a magical item from I'm going to the shop and, you know, getting the Argos catalogue out and going and have that, please, to actually the players have to work at it. And it was amazing how much that actually dissuaded players from going shopping. So Sorry, sorry can, can you summarise how that works? So, so the, the, the rule, it's part of the downtime rules in Xanathar's Guide to Everything, which is the, the Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition supplement book. And what it says is, Fifth edition has always said that magic items are rare and can't you can't just go into a shop and buy them because people like covet them. So basically, you need to like make deals with people or find out people who want to buy or sell magic items. So it's got this whole little it's only, it's only a couple of paragraphs, but it's a nice little downtime mechanism where you've, what you're supposed to do is you know spend some money greasing some palms to try and get information out there, and then you roll a couple of dice to see well is magic are magic items available and what kind of price are they for sale. But it takes a few days of downtime because it's supposed to be you've got like dead ends and you might find one person who leads you to something and it, nobody they don't want to sell that kind of thing. And um, because it's got that time delay in it, it was amazing how many of our players went right. We want to buy some magical items. We need to go get like a new magical sword. Okay, then it might take you two or three weeks. <sighs> yeah, but the evil lich is starting to build an army. We need to sort them out now, don't we? Can we wait two weeks? And it was. It became a natural like project management decision on the player's part. It's like, do we spend the time getting the getting the weapon, which will help us, or do we do it now and go for it? And I and what I do now is what I learned quite early on 
is give players a consequence to every action. So if they do spend two or three weeks, you know, hunting for this magical sword, well, that means there's more enemies in the base because the the bad guys built all these defenses up or something like that. That's no, that's pretty good. Little things like that to try and you know make it feel that everything they do has a consequence, even if it's a small one. I mean, I think, but I mean, maybe part of my problem was that uh, I wanted my uh, my players to have um, magical items as soon as possible because I wanted to know what they'd do with them. Um, <laughs> you know, what, what what happens when you? Um, uh, so this is all in a um, in the uh, uh, Swedish OSR um, game Morkborg, which is um, uh, turned out to be our campaign game. Don't know why. Really, <laughs> I don't. I don't get too off topic, but how are you finding that? Because I've got a PDF of the rule book, and it's bizarre. I mean, it's metal as you know, but it's so weird. It's really good. Um, there's literally there's nothing in it that isn't kind of a joke. And then um, the way um, the way everything works is that everyone knows that they could pretty much die at any time. Um, which I, I think that's a, that's a that's to me in RPG that's, a, that's very important um, because mm. that's why I really like the uh, alien RPG cinematic stuff um, yes. because because the, the threat level is so high and so when when your players do something um, they're always like slightly nervous about it you know no, no one's like I'm going to hit this goblin with a sword it'll be fine um, because and and things like. Um, one of the rules I like in Morkborg is that um, goblins, if you if you capture a goblin or spend too long with a goblin, um, you will start to turn into a goblin. Uh, so there's all sorts of little things like that throughout the game, which um, just just make it mechanically kind of interesting. And then the, the rest of it's so rules light. Um, mm. You're just wandering around, usually hitting things. It's compelling, orientated, uh, apart from when you're going shopping, apparently. Uh, and then... Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, once once you, I think once you internalize that none of it matters very much, um, and that the world is doomed because at the start the start of every game, every session, you or day or day rather, um, you roll a dice to find out if the world is going to going to end, uh, and if you roll a, um, it depends on how fast you want the game to end. Uh, yeah, you are. Uh, if you if you roll a certain number, it might be a sixty six actually, because that's what you know, kind of metal or whatever, you know. Um, what's this? I can't remember. I can't, can't quite remember how, how it goes. Um, but then that causes a misery to happen. And you roll on the misery table, and then uh, once you've got seven miseries, the world ends, and then that's your game <laughs> over. So it's like whatever you're doing, actually, really, it actually really matters that you get stuff done. Um, yeah. there's, there's no like, and then I'll settle down. <laughs> and then it's just a, like a like retirement in the pub simulator. There will never be. A, they, I mean, I know that's not a real thing that happens in RPGs, but um, uh, but it feels like sometimes players feel so attached to their characters that they want yeah. that. They want that. They want a good ending for their character. And that's what that's what I find most interesting about about death in RPGs and, and, and threat generally. And things like Call, yeah. Call of Cthulhu. We had a um, we had a scenario in the most recent issue just gone, um, and uh, so just gone last month's issue. Um, and we had an exclusive scenario, uh, and it's, it's super exciting. The joy of Call of Cthulhu is that you might have to make your character might have to make the ultimate sacrifice to save the world, you know. And that's a good story, and that's all that matters mm. as long as you're having a good story. Um, but it is less gamey, isn't it? In lots of ways, I, I think that approach. Um, it's just someone who likes to um, see the chaos around them, you know, <laughs> um, in, the, in these situations. Um, well, I, it's weird because. 
you speak about Alien. I've, I mean, we we quite literally just last week finished the Destroyer of Worlds, which oh, yeah. is the, I've not the second yet. cinematic scenario, and um, like we had a bit of a like a wash, you know, wash up with the, for the players, and they were saying how you know it's this. Most people, it was I think it was over the second or third cinematic scenario, and they knew their players were going to die at some point. It was just a matter of when. So there was this weird thing where they were still very very protective of their characters, and you know in as if they thought for once they'd be able to get home and, and get to the pub at the end of it and, you know, hope it all blows over. But at the same time, there's the feeling that it's going to be difficult to do that. And, um, yeah, the reaction to it was brilliant. Everyone everyone got into the character even quicker, I think, because, you know, running away is a valid option in Alien. doesn't always work, though. <laughs> no, it's not. No. <laughs> um, and even doing, doing something is also bad sometimes. My, my first... Uh, session of um, of running Chariot of the Gods um, yeah. was uh, the first death came from oh, I think it's like a like a face hugger thing jumps out of an egg or something like that um, attached itself to someone um, and uh, the other person decided to try and shoot it um, and like obviously you know how that goes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was just like when that, as soon as that happened, I was like, "This is perfect. This is this is my kind of game." It's brilliant. Isn't it? it was amazing as well how quickly everyone thought they remembered stuff about aliens and forgot. So everyone's like, "Oh, that's, oh, that's an egg. That's a face hugger." But the first time somebody got grappled by an alien, and someone went, "Right, okay, I just emptied my pulse rifle into the alien." And it's like, okay, yes, you've killed it, but now you've splattered acid all over your colleague. And they went, oh my God, I forgot about the acid blood. <laughs> <laughs> One last thing about Alien RPG. Uh, the, it's bloody good, isn't it's, it? It's re- it is really good. Um, <laughs> the, the, they just, they, uh, this is a spoiler. So just, you know, turn it down for a second if you're in the car or whatever, and you, know, you need to, you need to uh, avoid this moment. So there you go. Um, there's, there's an instruction in the, uh, scenario quite early on, which um, basically says the equivalent of um, the players walking. They walk into this area, and um, depending on whether they turn the lights on or not, um, they're going to see the equivalent of a hat rack uh, with a hat on it um, that lo- looks like a person in the room in the dark, or they're going to see a hat rack. I mean, they, that's the equivalent of what they're they're doing, and it's just like such as it's like literally like a childish scare and the fact that they've got that in there just makes me so happy because it means that you could and they introduce that really early it's this thing of like oh yeah don't worry but don't worry about the scratching in the vents and it's just, <laughs> um i think i think it's a, a beautiful beautiful game um so i think it's probably time for us to do a um to do a top five why not The Tabletop Gaming Game Store is open and dispatching orders worldwide. Visit www.tabletopgaming.co.uk to read the reviews and buy the games directly from us. So, what's our top five of? Well, I'm going to do... Since we haven't had many games actually released this year... I'm going to do uh, what, what is currently in my most anticipated games. Would you like to take it from, uh, well, I'm going to say from the top, but you can take it from the middle or anywhere you like. Uh, yeah. Um, well, since we've 
I mean, they are in no particular order, I think. So since we just talked about a, a free league role-playing game, I am rather looking forward to the One Ring 2nd Edition. Now, I know we mentioned Cubicle 7 earlier, and unfortunately, I must admit, I never played a Cubicle 7 RPG. So I don't know what they're like. And that they unfortunately lost the license, didn't they? And they did. It sounds like an unfortunate circumstance, because it sounded like they'd almost finished developing it, and then it was whipped away from them. Before, before my time in the magazine, uh, one of the last issues contained uh, a couple of pages on... Um, the the wonderful um, Cubicle Cubicle Seven version, um, and they just obviously the uh, license slipped right at the end, um, which mm-hmm. is, is is a shame. Um, so, um, just a shout out to Cubicle Seven Soulbound looks brilliant. It looks completely nuts, um, but uh, absolutely absolutely is, brilliant. That's there. Is that the um, Warhammer Age of Sigma one? That's yeah, exactly, exactly, and um, it's just completely bonkers. There's no there's no subtlety in it whatsoever. You're just, it's just like, it's, you know, it's just turn up to 11, absolutely everything. And you're, you know, you, you start, your characters start being able to teleport and throw fireballs. Um, so all that matter, all that means is that um, everything else is just even more deadly than that when they, when they leave um, the, uh, the bastions uh, uh, in there. Sorry, I've just uh, completely derailed there. Sorry, no, it's another, an excellent, uh, most anticipated freely game on the way up is yeah, the one uh, so- yeah, the One Ring. So yeah, I've um, I said I've been really impressed with Alien. We're about to start uh, playing Forbidden Lands, which is another Free League game. I've got to admit, I, I don't know what Free League have planned for the One Ring, but you could almost imagine just just retheme Forbidden Lands, and you're almost there. It's quite bizarre in that way. So I, I although it's sad that Cubicle Seven have lost that, and I, and I, I feel really bad for them about how it's happened. I kind of feel it's gone into someone in someone's hands who can nurture it and work with it as well. I've never played a Hobbity RPG. Mm. So uh, have you got experience with any previous version? I played, oh, I played a Lord of the Rings game donkeys years ago. And I mean, we're talking about probably 94, I think was the last time I played a Lord of the Rings RPG. <laughs> yeah. So the thing, but the thing about Lord of the Rings, it's something that's like, it's like Alien was. We just dropped into Alien straight away because we're all familiar with the films and Lord of the Rings. You know, we're all we've all seen the movies, we've all read the books, we've all we've all even watched the Hobbit film films. You know, so it's going to be easy for us to just drop into that world and just play and get into it straight away. So, so um, it, it, right in the I'm going to point out right in the background. I can see just behind you on a table as a little board game called Dune. Yes, right. Now, I don't own Dune, but I own Rex, which is the same game, but with the Twilight Imperium um, skin on top of it. And I've kind of been humming around about buying that version of Dune you've got, which is the classic is it 1970s version that originally one came out. I think it's the 2018 remake yeah, I've got a... back here. I've also got um, a, uh, a lovely um, foam insert for it, which I need to test out um, for all the, all the, the little chits and things. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry, go on. <laughs> so uh, I'm, because I kind of already have that, I'm really excited and interested to know about Dune Imperium, which is the new one from Direwolf Digital. Oh, yes. Because I've heard that. I've, I'm hearing some good buzz about that at the moment. And I like the idea of it being like a deck builder and an area control at the same time. And Dune, again, is another one of those universes where, okay, I've only really read the first book, but I think I've seen every single screen adaption. I'm really looking forward to that movie. 
that it's not going to come out this year. Yes, I know. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I really... Everything I've seen of that looks nice. I mean, it looks absolutely beautiful. I, it'd be interesting to see what Die Wolf... Because it's Die Wolf Digital, not Die Wolf, isn't it? So it's not the people who've made... Is it the people who made Clank? Oh, Ooh, I don't want to say that. That might be overstretching my knowledge there. Okay, so, so uh, fact, fact check. Fact check. <laughs> <Yes>. uh, <laughs> but, but still, yes, no, anything in the Dune universe um, gets my vote. And, and also anything that does a bit of area control with uh, and deck building sounds like pretty pretty wonderful. Um, mm. uh, I, I, I recently played the um, Lost Ruins of Arnak. I actually had to read it off the box there. Um, Lost Ruins of Arnak, which is a um, let's whack deck building into something uh, game. Yeah, it, it, it's like worker placement euro and deck building, isn't it? And and then what uh, it is, and the deck building in that I think is brilliant because it's not like Dominion where you end up with a massive stack of cards at the end of it kind of thing. You end up with a really thin deck, yeah. But every card can be used in multiple ways, which means you, it's just so many options available. It's not just like yeah, the usual. I'll oh, play this card, which gives me an interaction to play this card. I buy that, and I do this. There we go. Every single card is like, well, do I use that for this, or do I use that for that? Do I use that for beating up the bad guy, or moving a bloke to that place over there? Or mm. it's it's yeah, it's a really clever way in which they've used the system there. It, it, it's it's really annoying actually because I arrived uh, a few days before lockdown second lockdown started and me and Andy actually managed to play it on the Saturday and on Saturday night it was announced and we only managed to play one game of it so we talked about it on the podcast but we did have to caveat and go normally we play this two or three times at least before we mentioned it but now we played it once that's it that's all about chance uh, and the solo, the solo mode is quite good though um, is it? yeah it's very good um, very nice to uh, have a like um, a really good like opponent AI rather than just like the bad guy who's going to just ruin things for you. Um, mm. It's um, they've done it in a really smart way, and it feels like someone sort of emptying their hands kind of as, as they're playing, which is, is very nice. At the end. Um, so yes, next on my list is um, again linked to something we said earlier. Um, really loved the Aliens RPG. Really loved the Alien movies, and I'm really looking forward to see what Alien Another Glorious Day in the Core. It's going to be like. Oh, okay. Now that's a game I've actually been looking forward to for about two years, and that was delayed before lockdown all came along. So, I mean, there's part of me that w- is worried it's going to be the most comedy basic, you know, move and shoot kind of action game. But it's aliens, and there's a little miniature of a power loader. I mean, what more do you want? <laughs> I mean, that's no nothing really. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, as I said, I, I actually know next to nothing about how the game is going to actually play, but it, it looks like um, it, it almost looks like Space Hulk, which was you know famously a, more or less an Aliens ripoff right from the start. But it, it you know, it, I, I, I don't care if that's all it is. If it's just like a zombie side style miniatures game in Aliens, I'll probably be happy as Larry. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, I mean that. I mean that even sounds quite good itself, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah so, uh, <laughs> Um, so the last two, oh, which order do I put these in? Right, so I'm going to say number two is quite possibly the most bonkers game I've ever heard of, and I love it because of it. I don't know how to describe it or say the name first. No, I'll say the name first. It's called Perseverance Castaway Chronicles. And it was on Kickstarter earlier this year, and annoyingly I had the chance to play it, but I missed out by about 15 minutes, which is an issue of convention that I had. Um to explain this game, this is so bonkers, it's unbelievable. You're the crew of a cruise, cruise ship, 
which travels through an interdimensional portal and ends up on a stranded on an island full of dinosaurs. And your aim is to rebuild the colony and train the dinosaurs to as your like work animals. Cool. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm gonna. This is gonna require another edit from me. But is that the David Tercy game? Yes, it is. Yes. Yes. What is it? The one that's in four parts? Yes. So the first I've part is I've parts one and two. Yeah, first parts one and two, and I think there's gonna be another Kickstarter later on for parts three and four. And annoyingly, I went to GridCon last year, and David Tercy was there and said, "You know, do you want to play this? We might. We, there might be a slot at like nine p.m." And I said, "Well, I've got to drive home this evening, but wait and see." And I looked around and there was no one there. And I kind of waited around for about half an hour and just went, oh, do you know what? No one's gone. I got a phone call when I'm like halfway down the M5 off David Tertzi going, there's a slot open if you want to play. Just um, shout out to David Tertzi, one of, one of the um, most high energy people I'm, I've met in the industry. Like, here's a man who will drag you from across the room to play. Yes. Yeah, definitely. He nearly dragged me halfway down the M5 yeah. to play the game. <laughs> so. Because there was a part of me always like, how quickly, if I turn around now, can I get back? <laughs> he's, he's also a person who broke uh, Tapestry from Stonemaier Games for me. Bro- sorry, so the, go on. He broke it. He, he quite literally broke it for me. The first time I've ever played Tapestry was at, at the same gaming convention in the morning. And uh, David Hertz was just wandering around. And again, he grabs you, doesn't he? And he, he, he just, he's so excited. He's so full of energy and tells you about everything he's working on. So my friends were playing, we're, we're getting it and starting to set up. And he goes, oh, I've never played this. Can I join you? And we're like, all right then. Yeah, fair enough. And I, I can't remember if it was two or three turns in, but it wasn't far into the game. And he goes, yep, got it. <laughs> oh, no, I got this now. And he had. He completely understood exactly how the game worked and quite literally thrashed us all at it. I like, I think we scored like 70 points. He scored like 300 points. It was something along those kinds of lines. Oh, see, that's, that's, that's a good David Tessie story. That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the Perseverance looks really, really good. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, so as you, you alluded to, it's four parts. So it's kind of like a campaign Euro game. So you can play the four different games, one after each other, and apparently the, the components carry over and the story carries over between games. But, I mean, just, just the fact that David Tertzi gets me interested anyway because he's so he's so passionate about his design and he, he makes such interesting mechanics and way in which games fit together. But then just this, this whole... You know, this bonkers theme on top of it is just the pure icing on it, really. Uh, I saw this at a, a prototype, I think. It might have even just been printed, I can't remember. Aircon. And mm. um, that which was just, just before, just before the first lockdown. Um, yeah. And uh, it looked like it looked like the board just gets added to. And then you get this just end like it feels like just an endless board almost of just yes, dino handling and <laughs> um, re- resource gathering, all sorts of things. They seem it's interesting, like have this a board that changed narratively. So once you're halfway across these, I guess four games worth of board, you're you've uh, befriended the dinosaurs and things. So then, therefore, these these things, these things that were probably attacking you, I think, in the first game, um, become your become your friends and become your allies. And then you're um, you're sort of building a society towards the end that integrates with these with these dinosaurs. I think that's wonderful. Um, mm. Uh, uh, just, uh, just a nice, a nice thing to see. Have you played Tekkenu, which is the David Tussie? Uh, oh yes, yeah, with the, with the obelisk, yeah, yeah, yeah. What did, what did you think of that? I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's um, 
I don't own Teotihuacan, and I was owning and ahhing about buying it, and now Tekenu's turned up. I'm like, do I need Teotihuacan as well? Kind of thing. And I don't think I do, no. No, it's, that's my feeling of it was just like, oh, okay, so uh, they synthesized the last 10 or 15 years of big, heavy Euro games. Done. This is, this is the one. We'll have this one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, well done, David. It's all in there, and it all fits together really nicely. So good. What is, what is your final most anticipated so, game? So my final one is... Um, I. Uh, I feel, I've been getting onto into a lot of Euro games lately, and Tekken is a really good example of that. And my final choice is actually as far away from a Euro game as you can possibly be, which is Oath Sworn into the Deep Wood. Oh, okay. Is, this is a miniatures game. This is a... Yeah, this is. I think the best way to describe it is similar to Gloom, somewhere in, in in the same region as Gloomhaven and uh, Kingdom Death Monster. That kind of game. So it's a game in which you can assemble a party. It's a it's a campaign style game where the story will go forwards. It's gonna have like a choose your own adventure style story elements which you play through, and then when you get to the fight, you put the board out, you put the miniatures on, and it's got this really kind of in depth and detailed, but still relatively straightforward combat system that allows you. It's got this it seems to be designed from a kind of um. A MMO, uh, an MMO RPG kind of like World of Warcraft kind of view, in that you know your attacks have cooldowns and you have to strategically about how you do things. And that's, um, I don't play it myself, but my wife's really into World of Warcraft and she does all these raids and it feels like a raid. You've got these bosses which require strategies and thinking about how you do them. Um, it's I'm so excited for it actually. I it was a really interesting Kickstarter from from, from to view. Because although it's a big, heavy miniatures game, they sold it without miniatures if you wanted. They actually did the options of miniatures or standees. Um, and I originally said, no, I don't need the miniatures. It's too much. I'm just going to get the standees. And then the backer kit came out, and I just had a bonus. Yes. <laughs> I'm having all those minis. Are you, are you someone who, who paints their minis in, in their games? Uh, I, I'm someone who likes to think they paint their minis, but never actually gets around to it. <laughs> That's it. That's absolutely. I, I I usually paint like maybe one in every box or something. I bought myself um, the starter set for Infinity, which is a little skirmish game. And one of the reasons I thought I'd get that is it's only five. It's only five people on a team. That's the entire army's five people. I'll paint them up and they'll be fine. No. <laughs> three, three of them are painted. Yeah. I, so I like to um buy uh, to buy a box of monsters basically um wherever it is you know it could be, it could be yeah. Rising Sun or it could be the the excellent uh, Sandy most recent Sandy um Peterson game uh Planet Apocalypse um but why what, what I'm most like doing is just painting one of them that's you know so this huge amount of plastic that's gone into this game and then when then when you get it out to play with people they're like oh you've painted this one I'm like yeah I've sort of stomped with the other ones. <laughs> I couldn't quite, couldn't quite bring myself through to uh, to finish those off. It's one of those things I say. I, I keep saying I'm going to, and then I just never get round to it. Yeah, it's it's really annoying. Absolutely endless. Uh, well, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me on. Um, so I think you. What would you like to plug? Well, Polyhedron Collider, of course. Ah, um, what a good idea. 
Yes, so Polyhedron Collidercast, uh, available from hopefully all your favourite podcast platforms of choice. No doubt, whatever you're listening to this very podcast on, it's available, so uh, give us a search. Um, basically, if you search for Polyhedron Collider, you'll get to somewhere eventually. Now, originally, we were it, I started off as like a written blog, so I think a few of the Google links get to that, but the podcast is front and centre on there anyway, because I haven't actually written anything in about a year, I don't think, so... It's mostly just blog. It's mostly just podcast updates on there. Thank you for listening to the Tabletop Gaming Magazine podcast. If you like the podcast, tell a friend, leave a review, or subscribe to the magazine. You can do that at tabletopgaming.co.uk. You can find us on Twitter at tabletopmag, on Instagram at tabletop underscore gaming underscore magazine, TikTok at tabletopmag, or on our new YouTube channel, which contains tons of new videos, all from our latest virtual event at Tabletop Gaming Mag. Our music is by Body in the Thames. Uh, the song is called Cloud Meetings. And you can pick that up on Body in the Thames at bandcamp.co.uk.